0: Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment.
1: And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we are going to be talking uh, about old code. And the idea for today's discussion got started from some work I've been doing recently um, updating and fixing some issues in one of my apps. Um, it was actually the first app that I had that ever really was in a sort of in any reasonable way a success. Um, it's an app called Audiobooks that lets you listen to, uh, public domain audiobook recordings. And I launched it in spring of 2009. Um, so it has been, it's coming up on its eighth birthday, um, today. And it is a, it's kind of a wild thing to be going through and working like, you know, I'm still actively working on it for, for the last eight years. I've, you know, it's had continuous updates and, um, you know, it launched at a time when, you know, there was one screen size and that screen size was non-retina. Um, we were doing retain and release. Um, all of the buttons are super shiny. Like, they have that really round kind of, like, a capsule look to them. Um, and, I mean, even... It even has some features that I look at now and it took me a while to remember why I added them. Like, for example, it has a feature where you can automatically resume playback of the audio um, when the app starts up. And that's because the app was created before multitasking was a thing where <laughs> when you closed the app, it would stop playing and so the only way, so I made it so that, you know, as soon as you start it back up, you could really could resume um, to make it a little bit easier for that. But like the app is so old that it has all of these <laughs> things, all of these, these, these code paths and these details. Like there's, you know, sections of the code where it says, you know, is multitasking supported? You know, do this. If not, do that. And multitasking has been available since iOS 4.
0: And if, I, if I'm doing my timeline correctly, it looks like you launched this when the current version of iOS was still 2.0.
1: Yes, it was, I, it, it launched with 2.0 and then brief, got a, an update fairly shortly thereafter when i think 2.2 came out which was a big deal for me because 2.2 a- introduced av audio player
0: yes that's a big um, deal
1: <laughs> and so i remember suddenly like playing mp3 files was like this is, was this way easier thing to do and i, I could do you know all the stuff that i had previously wasn't able to um but it goes way way back i mean this is yeah it, it was the first public version of ios or i guess that, that back then it was iphone os that that i wrote this app for um But the thing that's been making me think about, though, is like I'm doing this process of doing this big sort of like spring cleaning for this app, and it creates all these weird questions, though, like how to deal with all this old code, all this old stuff, and there's all this legacy sort of weight that goes into this app, And, and it's theoretically possible that there's a customer out there who is, you know, who has been using the app since 2009. Um, you know, continuously. And so there's all these interesting cases and details that I have to manage and deal with because, for example, they may have had, you know, data in their database that is, you know, from the original version. Um, And do I, you know, I have a whole bunch of code in my app to translate old versions of, you know, like I think I've gone through three or four database formats or things. Like originally I launched and the database was a plist, I think. I would, when you launched, Core Data was not yet on the phone. You could do
0: raw SQLite through the C API, but yes. but most people just had these weird little hacks like plist's or very very basic SQLite uh, functionality because it was so cumbersome.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, it's it was a plist to start with, and then I transitioned to Core Data, and then Core Data has gone through several migrations, and so like, it's a lot of these weird complicated issues that I, I feel like you don't like. When I'm building things now, I don't really think about this this kind of future-proofing and migration and translation and the things that I may need to do, like if the app is sitting around, like, I don't know if you think about this when you're doing, over, like, overcast stuff that, like, what what's what's going to happen if someone who's been running uh, an old, ver- you know, running the old version for years and years and then suddenly installs the new version, like, it could have a totally different database screen, it could have a totally different file format, like, all the MP3s could be in a different place, like you know time is a is a weird thing with software i think
0: yeah i mean like i i've avoided many of the i mean first of all like you know, my my migrations for the database are all fairly straightforward. I, I do have a lot of that code that can support old versions. However, in practice, I don't have a lot of people using old versions because from day one, I decided to use SSL certificate pinning on my connection to my API. And mm-hmm. this has caused it, – it, it's a nice thing for security. However, um, at various points, I've tried pinning two various things. First, I pin to the certificate itself. Uh, which only lasted until that SSL certificate expired, which was about a year. Uh, and then I realized, well, it's kind of inconvenient to to break all the old versions of my app every time I have to update my SSL certificate on my server. Uh, so I tried pinning to the intermediate certificate uh, through my SSL issuer, figuring, well, that won't change for a long time until it expires in like five years. Uh, and then all the uh, encryption standards got upgraded to, I think, SHA-256. or Somehow they, they changed the signature algorithms to be more secure on all certificates. And so that broke. And so I <laughs> that forced an upgrade. And then on uh, my most recent one, uh, just a few weeks ago, I, had to d- I updated my certificate. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm pinned to the new you know, SHA-256 intermediate certificate. I, I can update and it'll be fine. But then the new certificate I got just was signed with a different intermediate key like <laughs> sure. for whatever reason like okay uh that's not good so i had to forcibly break all previous clients who 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 connect and i i gave like a month notice and i i let it go for a while but you know then like the the actual expiration date on the old certificate was as actually as, as we record yesterday uh and so like i was forced to break all compatibility with all old versions uh, uh, uh you know yesterday basically um so I don't really have that problem as much um and this kind of gives me a lot of advantages i mean one advantage is that i i don't have to really worry about supporting old versions of the os very much It's like well you know even though it's inconvenient that i had to force all these people to update to the latest version uh that also means that i literally have zero people using anything older than it (laughs) so (laughs) so it's it, it simplifies a lot of this stuff uh, and I've I've found that, you know, usually people who are running very, very, very old versions of things, uh, they they kind of expect things to break if they ever update them. That's one of the reasons they they aren't updating them, uh, because either they can't or they won't. And the reasons why they can't or won't are usually because either the hardware doesn't support anything new, or in which case you're fine because any new installation would be on new hardware, uh, or... Mm-hmm that they they refuse to update for whatever reason maybe they just don't like the new os maybe they think it'll run too slowly on their hardware maybe they have a jailbreak they want to preserve whatever the case is they refuse to update in which case i I feel like if you are refusing to update to something that you could update to i kind of feel like you're taking matters into your own hands and accepting the responsibility of you know things might be weird for you holding on to old stuff and one of the ways things might be weird is you might have some kind of failed migration in the future when you do decide to upgrade when you when you're upgrading like way after everyone else has Um, so for the most part the like the issue of like migrating old data over time and everything is is i think not that big of a deal in practice like you should do it as as much as you can you should accommodate that but not to the point where it's going to become a large burden on you to support you know while you should be supporting new customers basically
1: yeah and i think it certainly is is complicated especially for apps that like overcast work it requires the server for it to function period right exactly and so it doesn't have the sense of like an offline or a standalone kind of a feeling where like you know this app like the, the my audiobooks app like it still works you know i re- I actually out of curiosity yesterday i installed the, i ex- exported version one out of my git repository um and you know got it to run in you know the most recent version of xcode which is just mo- it was surprisingly it worked know surprisingly well given that you know that how much time has passed between those things yeah, it's kind um, of impressive. i only had to fix a few I only had to fix a few bugs and like set the root view controller on the window and a few things that like otherwise it just wouldn't launch but overall like it ran and like the app still works because it has a, it's, it was very it was built at a time when um like it needed to be standalone because network connections were super flaky and everyone was on um edge or 3g at the time and like it was just was a very different paradigm. So, like, the app was very standalone, and I think any app that has that kind of standaloneness to it is where it really gets complicated for, for these kinds of, just, oh, you know, data formats and uh, migration kind of stuff. And like, I'm what I'm struggling with now as I go through this is like the issue you run into is you end up with this kind of like uh, like Russian doll, the data format where like I have code in the app that lets me migrate. You know, if, like every little migration or, prob- or thing that I've done over time, um, like I have code to manage from one to the next to the next to the next, and so like there is a path that if if you, if I took a you know something that was running that very first version, like I think there's a, well, maybe not be that very first one, but. Pretty, like, definitely the core data versions, like, theoretically, if you had a device that was running that, and then you install the latest version, there's like, you know, it would go through like six different migrations, or like, migrate this, the, this, fi- this format change, then this format change, then this format change. And it's a really tricky thing, though, like, for me, as I'm, th- as I'm going through this code, like, I have no idea if this works still. Like, but it's still there in the code that, like, if you were running database version two, that, like, I have this code that says, if you're two, I can get you to three. And then there's code from, like, three to four. Mm-hmm. But, like, that sounds, like, horribly risk, you know, error prone and unlikely to actually work in practice. And so what I'm trying to go through now is, like, should I just be deleting some of these old code paths? Should I just yes. be going through and saying, you know, I'm supporting migration from, you know, whatever the last major version to the current version. Um, and then sort of cutting it off there because it's a really like, theoretically, if I'm having this code in there, that's doing something I should probably be able to, you know, I should probably have a way to reliably ensure that it works. Um, and I don't know if that's actually a guarantee that I want to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you know, it, on one hand, you know, you could just do what you just did and, and check out version 1.0 out of Git and build it and put some data in there, and then check out the current head version and run it and see if everything gets migrated over. But again, I, I think as indie developers, there's there's so much stuff. Where we're like, well, it would be nice if we had the time to do X, Y, or Z. It would be nice if we had enough staff and resources to do X, Y, or Z. But in reality, you have to prioritize, and it is probably not worth a lot of effort to maintain these these code paths that are going to support somewhere between like zero and ten people ever. You know, yeah. like it's it's not like a, a huge deal. So I, basically like the way where I come down at it is, you know, what I said earlier. It's like if it's gonna be really easy to keep the support in, like if you have a couple of of instructions to migrate databases forward, like I don't see the value in deleting them necessarily because you know if it's it, that that isn't that much code and it's not really hurting anything to be there, but I you know but if it becomes a burden, if for whatever reason that is causing you to not be able to upgrade to something else or clean up something else or or not be able to to change the app in a way that would benefit all current and new customers, then I think you know then then the cost is too great to having those and then you should get rid of them. Uh, but I, and I also don't think it's going to be worth your time to routinely check out version 1.0 and and get some data and then check out the head, you know, like to, to, to test these migrations that far back where you might literally be the only person who's ever doing that, uh, then it's, it's probably not worth the time taken away from, uh, from doing things that benefit everybody.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think in a similar way, I've been also working through some of these thoughts about dealing with like just old device styles and types too like for example i still have all non-retina assets uh in the app oh geez which is a funny thing because on the on the ipad does ios 10 have a non-retina ipad that it still supports no because
0: even even the ipad 3 it got dropped um, but it, it is, I think, I think nine still supported, uh, iPad two and three, I think.
1: Yeah. And so like, it, it is funny when I have all these resources and especially if they're iPhone only, like these are resources that like can never be seen. Um, and so I'm going through and being like, should I clear the, you know, sort of clear this up? It'll make my bundle a little bit smaller, you know, to just have two X and three X assets. Um, and I mean, on the iPad, it's especially interesting because, um Like for my, for me and my use, something like 45% of the iPad users who use my, who use audiobooks um are you doing it on a device that doesn't support iOS 10? Wow. Um, like mostly the iPad two and the iPad mini. Um, which that's a up lot. About, yeah. Which makes up, I mean, I imagine it's, it's the nature of the, I mean, the app's just been around for a long time and that's, you know, that's active use too. It's not just like, you know, total install because I can imagine it's a lot of people who have an iPad that they just, you know, load audiobooks on and. Listen to in their kitchen or in their, um, you know, in in their their, by their on their bedside when they're going to bed or something like that. Like it seems like it's that kind of a device, and so it's tricky when I have these devices that, you know, I think right now I support iOS eight, nine, and ten. Um, or is my official support with this update? I'll probably be going to, um, nine and ten. But one thing that I'm definitely run into a few times is like dealing with these is the issue of like a device that just can't get the latest version of the app, period. Um, and I think this is, you know, with the iPads especially, this is going to be um, more notable for, than it is for iPhones, because I just think iPhones don't stick around as long. Like, there's much, there's very few people using um, an iPhone 4 or an iPhone 3GS um, these days, and so um, it's something that I worry about less. Though, I will say one little trick that I always do, I've started doing in, in all my apps just like for... Um, it, it saved me so many times. Is I always enable the iTunes file sharing um, setting in oh, uh, in most of my apps um, because and most mostly because it's like it it, it, it I came into it most uh, usefully for my recipe app where you know it has a recipe people store their recipes and their um, you know their and and the images and so- all these associated assets with for for the recipe collection and it's nice to have a method that if someone emails me and says you know like i get this a lot is i have a first gen ipad like you know my recipe book launched day one or pretty soon after that um, of the original ipad and there are people who've been using it just like they take that ipad they put it in their kitchen and they never changed it and they've been using it ever since and like that version of the ipad is so unsupported by like ios versions by versions of the app um that it was really awkward to be like well um like it's i there's not much that i can do to help you. And so what I ended up saying is like I had to I enabled that iTunes file sharing. And then at least what I can say to these people is, you know, hook it up to iTunes, grab these files, put them on your desktop, drag them back onto your new iPad, because usually that's the situation they find themselves in. It's like, I got a new mm-hmm. iPad, yay, but what do I do? And it's like they can then at the very least take, you know, take those database files and move them back and forth. And then, you know, like I was just saying, I have all these you know all the the Russian doll migration scripting so that it can take those original you know, those first early versions of the app um, and make them move forward. Um but if I hadn't enabled the iTunes file sharing um API back then, like they would just be stuck. There'd be no way to get those files realistically out of um the device. Like they would have to use some kind of like you know, iPhone Explorer right. download know, specific phone tool. View. Yeah, download <laughs> right. phone view and migrate, which is just never gonna happen. But at least iTunes yeah, is,
0: I, I, think, I think if step one of your troubleshooting is download phone view, you're you're probably not gonna be done. successful with that
1: yeah so at least that is a little hint that i i and i now just do it like out of course because i think most people don't know it's there and so it's unlikely to be um dangerous like somehow people are going to be like oh what can i do with these files and start like deleting randomly deleting their databases right right um but every now and then it really comes in handy for somebody who's like i don't you know how do i move my files from this you know from this phone to this phone um or even some of it's even the common one that i get now with like in pedometer people are like i have all my steps in this on this device and i don't want to do backup and restore or it's too old to back and restore because the versions are incompatible Um, what can i do and it's like well you know go to itunes and say it's awkward but you just write out a big customer support you know like guide that says you know click here click here click here and then you know it works well enough
0: All right, we are sponsored this week by Linode. Uh, Linode's servers offer industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, Intel E5 Xeons, and access to a 40-gigabit network. They have nine data centers spread across the world, which give you the ability to serve your customers quickly. And Linode's API allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud with super simple scaling. This allows you to resize your servers in just a couple of clicks. I've done this myself many times. It's been awesome. In fact, I'm actually doing one later today. I'm running out of disk space on my backup server i'm going to just go and resize it later today it's going to take about 10 minutes most of which i'm just waiting for it to complete and it's going to be great Uh, i've done it so many times i know exactly how it's going to go and man i love linode and all this is also manageable if you want via the command line through their api as well if you don't want to use their interface or if you want to automate large tasks Um, all of linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with monthly caps on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers so linode they also have some awesome new pricing options You can now get a server with one gig of RAM for just five bucks a month. That's, I I can't believe how cheap servers are. This makes, like, this makes me so happy because servers used to be so expensive. And when I was starting out, like, the idea of five bucks a month for a server with a gig of RAM, oh my god, I paid so much more for so much less back then. And you can go all the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for only 60 bucks a month. I, oh man, their prices are good. And their two gig plan now includes 30 gigs of storage And that's just $10 a month for 2 gigs of RAM, 30 gigs of SSD storage. Linode continues to offer more and more awesome options to meet your server needs. Across the board, they're offering twice the amount of RAM that you get elsewhere. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash radar, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a 7-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more. Sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or use the promo code radar 2017 that's radar 2017 just like the year i hope at checkout thank you so much to linode for supporting this show
1: all right and the next area that i'm recently been uh, battling through with the same app um, that i think is interesting to talk about is the sort of the the concept of ios deprecation um, so, like the app when I launched it, um, uh, when I started this project, came up. I think there was something on the order of eighty deprecation warnings, <laughs> um, which is certainly an indication of my, um, I guess, ability to keep on top of things. Um, like my favorite was I had one uh, deprecation warning that said I think it was it's something to do with the um, audio session APIs, and you know it was the set delegate method, and they said you know this method was first deprecated in iOS six. wow (laughs) so i'm i'm a little behind um and it's amazing that app you know apple has been very kind to me and they deprecated it in ios 6 and it still continues to work just fine in ios 10 um but you know deprecation is probably worth just saying briefly what i'm talking about so this is the uh apple will look at you know take a, a particular api a particular method and say Um, you know, we are deprecating this method, which means we have something new or we have something different that we want you to use. And usually the deprecation warning will even be nice enough to say like, you shouldn't be using this method anymore. You should be using this one and point to it. Um, And then what they're saying is at some point indistinctly in the future, this method is going to go away um, or it will stop working correctly or whatever. And this is their polite way of saying you need to change your code um, to, you know, to work with something to work with the new stuff. Um, deprecation, I feel like is one of these funny things where um, it reminds me a lot of the Hemingway quote about going bankrupt, where you go bankrupt two ways you go bankrupt gradually. And then suddenly, because that's essentially what deprecation warnings are. Like you very gradually have this, like this building up. Like I have these deprecation warnings that have been building up over time and like, I should be changing things. I should be improving things. And then one day suddenly it'll just stop working like iOS 11 will come out like this June. And then suddenly I have no longer have the choice and the flexibility and the, like the ability to just like, Oh, I'll get to that whenever I want to. It's like, no, suddenly I have to do it. The app will not no longer compile like, and so it's a really tricky thing though. Cause I, it's the thing that I always struggle with with deprecation is it's the issue of um, like when to do it because the code works as it is right now and like that is like one of the hardest things i think for me to be to always to justify and work is like i'm working on an app here's this function that works correctly like functionally has been tested has been out in you know out in customer hands for you know in this case you know for years and years and it works it's reliable all the bugs have been worked out for me to to come along and to change it when it is working now always feels a little bit precarious and while I know that it's, you know, it's a bad thing to not, you know, in theory, what I should probably be doing is as soon as it, as soon as I see a deprecation warning, I need to be going in there, changing it right at that very moment. Um, but at the same time, like, APIs are most buggy when they're new. And, like, there's a lot of other considerations that come into that that mean that, Sometimes I want to wait, but at the same time, I don't want to end up completely bankrupt at the end where suddenly I have no choice and I have to change everything at once. And then I'm changing, you know, it's like even more dangerous than changing little things along the way is probably changing 80 warnings as I am, you know, right now. Um, like that's a bit more problematic. And But it's a, that balance and that tension I find is really awkward and complicated to deal with.
0: I mean, the way I deal with deprecation is is kind of like what I was saying last week about Swift adoption, which is like... You know, it's it's the kind of thing where a deprecation is basically a note. It's it's adding something to your to do list that like you, you're going to need to deal with this. And you know, like most to do items, like I, th- I think practitioners of GCD and, and similar systems, you know, there, there's almost always a rule in those systems that that says something on the, along the lines of like, if you can do something really quickly, just do it right now and just get it done. Uh, and and if not then you know then you like schedule it and whatever else prioritize whatever else uh sorry i'm I'm not an expert in those systems but i know there's there's usually the rule that says like if it's easy just do it now uh and that you know that's kind of how i look at deprecations and and things like you know new languages new apis new frameworks that the easy stuff deprecations are usually really easy to get around usually it's like oh there's now a new method that has like an options parameter or a callback or something else it's like usually the the way to deal with it is very quick you can do it in a couple minutes at most and you're done and then that's it and and the problem as you said it's like it's similar to what i was saying last week about swift about like you know at some point in the future there's going to be some api or or some policy or something that requires swift and then like i'll be forced to learn it right then which is kind of not on my own time not on my own schedule uh, and, and it's similar with deprecations like at some point you're going to be forced to to do this and so you're better off doing it when you have time on your own terms, on your own schedule, as opposed to in the future being forced suddenly. You know, oh, now I need to do this instead of what I was supposed to be doing today. It it also, also happen with app review. Like there, there could be a time where you need to submit a, a critical bug fix to your app, and that happened to be that happened to be the day that they started. You know, enforcing uh the this particular deprecation warning that you're hitting in app review and all of a sudden now you can't even submit this bug fix that you need to submit because you can't submit anything until you fix this deprecation and and so it's like it's the kind of thing where like most deprecations are easy to fix if you can fix it just do it now because there will never be a good time later to do
1: it yeah and i think the only thing that's also complicating into this is the broader the range of ios versions that you support um the more complicated this becomes. I that's think. true. Yeah, that's true. Because one of the things like part of the reason why this app has um has such a wide range of deprecation warnings is you know, a lot of them were when I changed the minimum supported version from iOS eight to iOS nine you know then suddenly all the things that were deprecated in iOS 8 become deprecated because before that they weren't deprecated they were <laughs> in fact they were essential um, because if i you know if i installed the app on a device that runs iOS 8 and use the new api it won't know anything about it and it won't work and so like this is something too that it's probably worth keeping in mind like i think something that i've learned from this experience is that what i even if i'm not dropping support for the older version at, you know, right away, like when iOS 11 comes out this June, presumably, like I'm, I'm unlikely to drop support for it right away for this particular app. For some of them I might, but for this one I probably won't. What I probably should do though is set the minimum version to iOS 11 and see what is deprecated as a result. To, like, to s- get a sense of how big this hole I'm digging myself into mm-hmm. um, by keeping these things around. And I mean, I will say to Apple's credit, like they are very good about this. Like It is kind of crazy to me that how much work they seem to put into um, backwards support and backwards compatibility, um, that I, you know, the fact that I can run you know, a really old version using modern Xcode is quite a testament to them. And then some, similarly, the fact that I can build, I don't know how far back I can go with the modern version of Xcode, like if I could support iOS 4 or iOS 3, or I'm sure at some point um, Apple cuts it off, but the fact that they, you know, they go back a couple versions at least um, and covers, you know, the vast majority of users as a result is, you know, certainly a testament to, um, you know, their engineering priorities and making sure that, you know, their devices like that. You don't have these very abrupt and very um, like unexpected cutoffs, um, you know, which is certainly, I'm sure it takes effort and time on their part. So they don't have to do that, but I'm glad that they do. And I think the last thing that I've also just been thinking about I've been going through this is it's something that, um, I notice it when you know when I'm going through these kind of cleaning passes and going through and you know cleaning up something is, um, it's always funny when you're going through an old code base and you find methods that, um, like I've been noticing this when I'm mostly when I've been fixing deprecation warnings. Like I find this method that has a deprecation warning in it. I go into that method. And I'm like, huh, I wonder where this is used. And I do like you know a search all for the the method signature, and it's not used anywhere. <laughs> Like yep, <laughs> and it's kind of a funny thing where it's like there's this method that you know there's all this code in the app that has no references to it anywhere because you know it existed at some point and then I re I rewrote the thing that was referencing it and then it just sort of accumulates over time and I went into uh, app code which is uh, the IDE that JetBrains puts. Uh, put out which is like i don't use it i wouldn't wouldn't never use it for development like i really like the way xcode works but it has a bunch of these kind of refactory tools and like i found that it said i think there was 426 methods that were unused wow um, in the application but it's just like it's the nature of it's existed since you know spring of 2009 and so i'm going through and cleaning this up and i think it's again it's just one of these things that's reminded me of like it's probably good as I'm going to be a bit more thoughtful about this, that when I'm removing, you know, as I'm making changes, if I'm removing the use of, of a function for the last time, I should probably, you know, clear it out there and remove the amount of code in my project because it's just increasing the odds that, you know, there's going to be these lingering and weird bugs. Like the less code in my app, the less bugs there are, almost certainly. So it's just like a good reminder to me that I should be cleaning things up a little bit more.
0: All right, we're out of time this week. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.